Hi, I'm Sierra. And I'm Andrew. And we're the Newmans. And this is our Tavern for Two. Welcome back to episode two. Yep, in this episode, here at the Tuxedo Cat Tavern, we are going to be discussing further the continuing of our D&D experience. Last time we covered our introductions to D&D in high school and before, uh, leading up to beginning of our time in college. And now we're continuing on. Well, we're gonna catch up from where we left off in our freshman year of college, so we'll be continuing on to our sophomore year of college and onward from there, uh, talking about how school and D&D worked out for us a little bit further, moving off campus and how that environment kind of changed our playing habits, environment, etc. And then also we really start to delve into other DMs in this session and, and we'll be talking about other games other than Andrew's that we played in. Yeah, which is pretty exciting. I had never gotten to be a player before, so it's nice. It's nice being able to just sit back and be your own person. So Darum was a city that we had created for the same world, Orith, that our Team Chaos game that we began playing with uh, was set in. Um, uh, if you folks remember um, Luthien that we mentioned from Orith and everything, Team Chaos, um, Sebastian, her younger brother, is the king of this kingdom. Sebastian founded Darum after defeating the drow goddess Lolth because it happened to be at the site of the largest tunnel exit from the Underdark by the drow city. And in true, I guess, D&D fashion, you could say the first building created for the town was the tavern, even before, maybe even before the castle or like anything special besides you know oh definitely houses. definitely long before anything else yeah long before they thought about having a village there they had an inn there and of course it was a an inn that was directly tied and related to the red dragon inn back in high tower uh, called the red dragon's fire yeah it was like a spin-off franchise almost yep but over the course of the 50 years after that Darum grew explosively. Think New York. Effectively. It became a large uh, free city kind of thing uh, where people of all races and all manners of living uh, would be free to live. And really it was the, the city of adventurers for quite a long time. Uh, coexisted fairly peacefully with the human kingdom, the dwarven kingdom, the elven kingdom, all the current political yeah. and then there was the, interest in the area. And there was the halfling suburbs, effectively. Yep. And this was a nice uh, city on the coast, so it had a really nice port and everything. Mm-hmm. 
Yep, it was large, it was in charge, its economy was booming, it was beautifully built. It was a large metropolis city. They even had a working uh, monorail system. Yep, they had developed an actual train. Granted, it really only took you between Hightower and Darrow. Yeah, they didn't have much time or ability to expand the system from there, but still nice. They were a little biased in their stations, though. Oh, yeah. During this time, we had a bit of a shift in our player base. We met some new people. Some people who had played with us the previous year had moved on to other things. Yeah, almost no one from the first campaign in college came back. Except for, like, a couple people. But we met new people. Uh, we had our friends, Mike and Travis. We had... Yeah, uh, that we met that year. Yep, that we met that year. We had Steven and Zach were two others. Uh, our friend Nick. A couple more here and there, depending. Yeah. Still, and, still had people bringing in friends that wanted to try it or... You know, people visiting on the weekends that were there for a session or two at a time or what have you. And for a while there, we still, of course, had Anthony and Kylie. Yeah. But during this time, everyone thought it would be a good idea to try to make a registered student organization out of our group, effectively, for D&D. Well, so to explain kind of where this idea came from, actually, we had such a large group as it was and we were kind of solid in our group and after or even before D&D we would just go out to the to our uh, on-campus cafes and everything and we would talk D&D going to and from or you know anytime we were all together any group of us were together we were talking D&D and it seemed like every single time We'd catch somebody saying, oh, you guys are talking about D&D? That's cool. I play that. Don't play it right now because I don't know anybody else that plays it. And so there was the idea of an on-campus group that could match DMs and players up and kind of curate groups for them. Yep. And we ended up calling this group the Players Guild. And while we did manage to get the group registered, and we continued on for a little bit, we never were able to grow it to the point we wanted to. The group grew within the first year, but unfortunately it only did last a year. Yeah, personal. Um, Personal things. Um, We didn't really know. We had the the ideas of the group set and everything, but we didn't really know how to carry them out in the way that we wanted to because, of course, funding is always an issue with these things. And we just weren't able to do what we wanted to. And not everybody had the time for it. And then also during that year, uh, I also ended up coming to the realization that school was really not for me anymore and I you left halfway through the year yeah yep I ended up leaving and 
The group's leadership was already not me. I was just the best person who knew D&D, but not necessarily the best person for knowing how to do uh, actual business work or anything like that, or running a uh, an RSO. Yeah, and at that point, realistically speaking, the the power, or yeah, I guess power of the group should have fallen on my shoulders, but I was also part of another group at the time, or no, I was joining another group at the time. I was in the middle of becoming a, a group member of a whole other organization so and on top of my school schedule and pet band schedule I didn't have the time to be president of a whole other like becoming RSO yep but in the intervening time between the beginning of the year and then forming the players guild and then me leaving Darum was a very successful campaign. Uh, the people who played in it were all very, uh, very capable players, for the most part. You know, I mean, everyone yeah. gets a little goofy in their gameplay from time to time, including us. So, but for being a, a lot of new players, because quite a few of them were brand spanking new, it was. It was actually really good. Yeah, because we had the right. Amazingly enough, we had the right balance of just enough new players and just enough veteran players for it to work. There are a lot of good stories that came out of that, and a lot of good characters. Characters by the names of Natalia, Richter, Roland, Mm. uh, and there are a lot of good stories that come with that, which we'll most likely cover in another episode. We might have episodes for individual campaigns, just describing the stories of how they went. But, well, we kind of have to, because this is one of the better campaigns we've, oh, we've yeah. had. Yeah, this is the first campaign where we stuck to the rules, you know, with the, the mix-ins of a little bit of homebrew here and there, just to spice things up and make it interesting. And it's but, one we actually finished from yeah, start to end. we did finish the campaign. It did have to go on a break from the time I left until uh, the next year, because Sierra was still in school. Yeah, so I went an entire semester without D&D. Mm-hmm. However, we did have a couple of other games uh, in that time. For the most part, they were very brief or unfinished. Yeah, while we were also playing Darren, we started playing other people's things. Indeed. Uh, Zach at the time started attempting to run a, a low magic game. Which I only observed that one. Yep. It was it was pretty fun, but it was a little ill-fated, unfortunately. It only lasted a couple sessions. I think maybe three or four at the most. I did enjoy watching Jersey Shore while watching you guys uh, play amongst yourselves, too, though. Right. <laughs> and then uh, our friend Travis was really into trying to become a DM. Unfortunately, he his first campaign, he took a lot onto himself. Back in three five days, there was a kind of campaign style called Gestalt, where you could play as a single character who had two different classes that both leveled at the same time, so they had a lot of options and a lot of potential power between that. Brand spanking new DM. 
evil campaign where everybody's mostly chaotic evil triple gestalt indeed he decided to amp it up even further everyone had three classes that is one of the hardest things i have ever created as far as a character goes yep you had your character the uh the gunslinger madam who was also a tantrist uh wizard from a yeah, gunslinger, tantrus, wizard. Yep. Uh, it did spawn one of my favorite characters that I've ever made or played, a guy named Sithic, who is a Shadar Kai and the best swordsman ever. He's a meme amongst our group. Yeah, Sithic used the, uh, the martial adept rules uh, with character classes like the Sword Sage and Warblade from 3-5. And I've brought him into other things since then uh after the ill-fated evil campaign we went into ravenloft indeed uh the setting of ravenloft travis found inspiring so he he ran that for a short time uh, up until about when i left and then that also went down hiatus much like darum did but much like darum also we did come back to that later yeah and when the Two main campaigns went on hiatus um, after Andrew left. The boys did continue playing their own things. They had a Dragon Age Inquisition uh, D&D setting game they were playing, which I was fine not being a part of. They, the various group members, especially Mike and Travis, still spent time with me, even though Andrew was gone, so I wasn't. While I was without D&D, I wasn't without friends. And funnily enough, that's also when Mike and Travis introduced us to Ruby. Yep. The uh, the Rooster Teeth show. Yep, that's when um, Travis and I especially started watching it together when you were gone. And not in school at the same time. But then also started discussing creating our own tabletop game of it which we'll we'll discuss that one a little bit more later too yep there there were a couple incarnations of a ruby tabletop game that travis tried to invent with our help but we'll get into that at a later time uh the next school year uh i spent the entire summer after i left working and building up money so that Sierra and Mike and I could rent a house together in the town that Sierra was going to college in. Yeah, because Mike and I were both still going to school, and we figured, well, Andrew and I had always had the uh, idea of moving off campus by the time we hit our third year of college, which I was going into, and then the year that we were getting to know Mike and Travis, we decided the four of us would move in together, but... Um, much like Andrew, Travis wasn't able to come back to school due to various reasons. So it's just going to end up being the three of us. But um, later in to our our time in the house, Travis did eventually join us. Yep. But we, we moved in with Mike in August of the following year. Yeah, August 2016. Mm-hmm. The Players Guild had 
by that point dissolved. It was hanging on, but yeah, it had pretty much gone the way of the wind at that point. Mm-hmm. And we figured, what better way to bring our friends back in than try to start, not necessarily dare them up right away, but a campaign that was going to be working alongside it, which we were lovingly calling the Nautical Campaign, because it was going to be a seafaring campaign. Yep, we had the idea to to give that a try. Yep, Mike and I were... Mike and I were going to play Miguel and Tulio, effectively, from The Road El Dorado. Indeed, and I had a original character idea that was a swashbuckling dual wielder. And we played one session. One session. And then said goodbye, everyone, and pretty much started a campaign with just those that were living in the house. Yes, unfortunately, at that point, because everyone had begun moving out of the dorms and it wasn't as easy to meet up anymore. And we were also very frustrated with how the one and only campaign session of the Nautical campaign went. We figured... That as well. We may as well make it easy. Just the three of us. So we ended up starting a new game that I had been kind of conceptualizing for a little while with just Sierra, Mike, and I. And this was our Dark Tower campaign, uh, the setting for which was based very loosely on Stephen King's Dark Tower novels. Which only Andrew had read, but easy enough concept for anyone to understand, really. Effectively, because I didn't actually set the campaign in Midworld, the, uh, the world of Dark Tower... I simply used the tower itself as a device to bring in characters from any feasible fictional world. Whether it be from a television show, a novel, a video game, uh, characters from anime, anything. Yeah. So you had Harley Quinn, Artorius, and... My original character, who was actually from the Dark Tower world. Uh, This was before the Dark Tower movie had come out. But I created a son for the main character of Dark Tower by the name of James Deshane. Because, you know, headcanon fanfiction, also welcome. Indeed. Uh, Effectively, it's multiverse theory played to the hilt. Anything Mm -hmm. that can have happened has happened, and the tower has access to every single permutation of every world. Yep. This campaign we started with the three of us uh, is where we started to see a little bit of Pathfinder being incorporated, mostly because Mike liked looking up feats for characters from everything, and it had been spoken about previously. Yeah, due to the um, Players Guild, actually... We learned about Pathfinder because some of the folks that had joined um, through the course of the year, year and a half that was active, there were some, there was a Pathfinder group. So mm-hmm. we were starting to learn about that and how it was a, it was its own game, but it was also a supplement to uh, D&D 3.5 material at that point. Yeah, and, and Mike caught on really quickly to it. Yeah, effectively, if you used 
material from both, you had a working system still, so that's mostly what we did, and a lot of the class options in Pathfinder ended up being more interesting or more powerful in a lot of ways because it was built off the bones of 3.5 to begin with. Yeah, and the feats were more useful. So the three of us began, and the concept of the game was that these three characters from multiple different worlds were being called together by the tower itself, and I used Merlin as a representative of the tower, to travel to various worlds to collect the 13 glass balls from the Dark Tower series that uh, contain the primordial magic of the world in order to fix the tower itself from all the damage it sustained during the book series. Which would give us an excuse to wander to various fictional worlds, like the world of Dark Souls, for example. Yeah. Where Artorias comes from, or Gotham City, or Midworld itself. We also went to places like... Uh, it was an amalgamation of different fairy tale worlds. Like, it was one world, but it was all the different Grimm's fairy tales like kind of put together. Which, of course, resulted in a lot of... Uh, Disneyfication for uh, some of that, but that was the world we went to. We also went to worlds from like Assassin's Creed, or I should say time periods. We also uh, went to a couple of original worlds. Yeah. There was a lot of interplanar travel in that one. Yeah, there was there was a lot going on. But we did slowly, um, friend, and we had friends that were asking, you know, well, what, what, what's going on with D and D? Like, are we, are we not a group anymore? Like, are we still playing? What's going on? So, we did, after a couple months of it, just being the three of us and us settling into our house and everything, and us enjoying what we were doing, we did start to open the door once again to other friends to rejoin us yep as people's schedules freed up and as they got their lives figured out and were able to participate in things again we decided to open dark tower up to our other friends and so we had our friend ian come in we had uh nick come in again uh a friend of mine from work josh yep we started to get some of andrew's co-workers to join us and and eventually Travis, uh, after a decent little while, ended up moving back and moving in with us and playing as well. Yeah, and so Dark Tower was the main campaign for quite a while. Yep, and there were even more characters. Uh, someone played a Guardian from Destiny, uh, Medivh from World of Warcraft, Weiss from Ruby. Yeah. Uh, Travis played an original character from another campaign of his he had run while he had been away by the name of Drezos. Yep, this campaign was one of the best ones set up for guest stars to kind of just walk in and out of doors. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal if they came in for one session and then were never seen again because they were do- helping save the tower regardless. Like they were doing their job. Yes, it kind of kind of went the way of Kingdom Hearts, which up until that point, 
I knew of Kingdom Hearts, but didn't know anything about it, really, besides surface-level details. But it was very similar in a way, just using the tower itself as the method of transitioning between worlds, and everyone who was a tower walker could travel between worlds at will. Yeah, so Just we... wishing for a door to manifest. So, like, we had Luna Lovegood for a session or two. We had one of the doctors. Ah, uh, yep, David Tennant's doctor. Yep, we had him. Which, that was it was very interesting having a, a pacifist character in a D&D game. But it did, it did make sense, and it was really fun to have that. But, like, mm-hmm. we finally had a, a way that allowed people to test it out, and it wasn't game it didn't affect the game in any sort of way really like it had previously like because in the tower we all understood the fact if one of us couldn't be there for a session well your character just went through their door and went home for that period of time yep people had uh very differing schedules you know of course still so sometimes people couldn't make it and it was a very convenient plot device for people to just be able to go off and perform an errand on their own world or on another world granted it being D, people didn't always necessarily understand that's how it worked so there was a lot of conflict with that there was a lot of group conflict with well it's D, so i have to be there and it's like this campaign is built with that safety net of if you can't make it, it's okay. Yeah, but people occasionally did get upset when they realized that they missed something cool or an important plot moment. That's understandable. But, yep. You know, you, you try to make it easier on them and it just doesn't work. Well, that's a case where it is what it is. But something from the early bits of the campaign that then came into great effect later in the campaign was once again using the webcomic Homestuck as one of the worlds. Because we once again had access to an alchemiter, allowing us to take items from different worlds and combine them and their powers together. Which could lead to some insanely broken items. And me DMing in this, I had to come up with and create the statistics for some of the powers that these things had. Hi. And it was a fun exercise, and I really enjoyed it. But boy, oh boy, did it push the power of the campaign way up there. Yeah. Well, also, um, the fact that I took all the hammers of Homestuck and combined them, there was that table I had to create, too. Yep, Which, because one of the hammers has a random gen- chance effect that so, happens. It worked very much like the Rod of Wonder, mm-hmm. or Wand, depending on what edition you play. But, um, yeah, it functioned much like that, where it could do anything from dragonflies come out of it to... The, the person... instantly slain. Yep, or the enemy turns into... Effectively a pinata and candy comes out of it, but it's 
candy that acts like a healing potion. <laughs> like it was a cure minor wounds or moderate wounds potion, effectively, whenever you ate one of those candies. Yep, it was a very interesting weapon. Yeah, it did. It did some silly things too, like um, not that the pinata is not silly, but like there's the the enemy gets hit and they get pants or like it was very the enemy gets hit and a ball pit appears beneath them and they fall into it yeah it, homestuck being as silly as it is and then also playing into the humor that uh harley quinn and joker sometimes had with their weapons to like the bang guns and the the cream pie bombs and stuff like that i was really trying to play up classic cartoon uh harley because like i had just dressed up as her for like uh for comic-con that year too so i was really into everything harley quinn classically yep and this came into play later in the campaign as well because in Homestuck, the characters can ascend to godhood through a couple different means. But mostly it's by dying on a sacrificial slab. And the core, I guess four, because Drezos also did this, but the core, the original three, and then also including Travis, uh, did hit god tier. Yep, Harley Quinn was the first to attain god tier through particular means uh, of gaining XP but effectively the characters once they hit level 20 were presented with a quest bed as it is called upon which they could die and activate their godhood abilities now which it being the original three of us um, Harley Artorias and James we we all kind of rotated through it where, you know, okay, it, it's your turn to die on the bed, so we're gonna, we're gonna kill you now. Like, it was a very group ceremonial ritual sacrifice in turn for waking up a few moments later as a god. <laughs> yeah. It, we wanted to all be involved and make it as easy as we could on ourselves. Yep. And also, the other characters were given titles as well and were able to do that as they ascended to level 20 also. Mm-hmm. And then we hit epic levels on top of having godhood because the campaign wasn't over and I had no fear of... You know, playing characters and DMing characters above level 20 at the time, or characters with divine ranks. We got big for our bridges. We did. We were wading into dangerous waters. And there was a world after a while of that, which we continued going through our regular worlds, just trying to uh, go to worlds where the power level was roughly equal you know certain anime worlds or places where there were gods that could oppose us uh you know that were evil obviously but there was a world we had been to where 
there weren't any gods previously, and we effectively became their pantheon. Yeah. And one of the primary antagonists we had in that campaign decided to pay the primary archdevil. Uh, and Car- Travis's character's soul had previously been locked in hell because in the campaign that that character came from, they ended it by trying to assault Asmodeus, uh, or Asmodeus as some pronounce it and they failed so his character had to be have his soul plucked from hell to join the dark tower campaign so one of our recurring villains the crimson king from dark tower lore let asmodeus know that drazos was in fact gone and still operating again And legions of devils were sent to this world that we were considered the deities of, and our characters got to have that moment of, wow, we just got hit by so many prayers at the same time for help. And our characters had to go and battle these legions and legions of devils as gods. You know, we succeeded. Uh, But then we had the... uh, we had to have the talk of what do we do now? Yeah, which sooner or later in any campaign you gotta have that talk, but especially this one. So we decided to assault hell. Yeah. And James, my character, had died a while back in the game. So I had switched to a new character. Uh, an original character from uh, Team Chaos, actually, who had been uh, kind of a side character after a bit. He was someone who I made that we then gave to our friend Michael to play, an assassin by the name of Desmond. And when James died, I brought him out of retirement and began playing him again in Dark Tower. Yeah. And he had become the god of space which is one of the primary aspects that's in Homestuck. So teleportation, shrinking things, growing things, all that was within his purview. We went to Star Wars and shrank the Death Star down to about the size of an Iune stone, and I had it circling around my head for a bit. And we also gave control of it after a bit over to an alternate version of Luthien from Team Chaos. Yep, she had become the captain of the Death Star. Yep. So after training up and arming with our vast powers and world-traveling abilities, all the people from this world who worshipped us, we turned them into an army to assault hell, and then we went and in the first battle that we fought, murdered eight out of the nine archdevils. However, uh... It was an avatar of Asmodeus, and he was forced to flee after a while. Mm-hmm. And one of the archdevils, uh, Despater, actually, was killed, but had a contingent resurrection prepared, so he got to leave as well, right out from under us. Uh, and then we took the Death Star out and blew a planet-sized hole out of the top layer of hell. Yeah. That was very fulfilling. Yeah. 
yeah, it was very fulfilling indeed. And by this time, we were all like in our level 30s and about divine rank six-ish. Well, in some cases, because there was a period where I... This is one of the only campaigns where I traded out a character. Mm -hmm. So there was a period where I wasn't playing Harley Quinn, and I was playing Maka Alvarn from Slayer. So she wasn't quite as powerful, and obviously now there was Luthien, because... I had played Luthien for a session or two, just for the heck of it. But that was when we were traveling, when we traveled into Slenderman's world. Which that was fun. We got to experience having no powers again for a little while and having to run around this horror scenario. Yeah, we basically played the Slenderman game, but in D and D. It was an interesting time. But Constant ha constantly having to make will saves or take wisdom damage and go insane. Yeah, but there were there were some characters that weren't nearly as powerful as the others, but still, there were a lot of us at that time. And they still managed to do their job very well. But after the Hell Arc, we figured... Which did culminate in us finally killing Asmodeus, by the way. Yeah, it did. And, and blowing planet-sized holes in every layer of hell. And at that point, we were really like, well, now what do we do? We still don't have all the orbs, but we just can't keep up with this anymore. Yeah, no, I had basically nothing left. Um, it was pretty much just going to be, alright, let's dip into each world and get the orbs, which we figured... We could kind of just talk through that, which we did, just saying, all right, we go through each world, we get the orbs, we return all the orbs to Merlin, and all right, it's all fixed. Like, there wasn't any point to continue actually playing through it. Yep. So, Darum came back. Yep. Darum had actually, well, Darum had come back as a secondary campaign, effectively. After a while. A little while earlier, because Dark Tower lasted us about two years. Yeah. And about a year into it is when Darum actually came back. But Darum we managed to wrap up a little while before we decided Dark Tower uh, couldn't really progress any further with most of the characters ending the Hell Arc at level 40 with nine divine ranks. Well... Darum could have lasted longer, but for quite a few reasons it had to be finished. But it was also a very rushed ending that Darum got, unfortunately. It was a bit rushed. It was still quite fulfilling, but there were some things that could have been given more time to develop and more attention. And I, I wish we would have had time, but I am glad that we got to finish the campaign because a lot of our campaigns haven't ended with a actual conclusion yeah the one unfortunate thing is this, we did end up cutting out an entire arc though natalia's submarine sailboat arc i'm not sure that would have been entirely an arc but it, it would definitely have been a mini, something that it would have been a mini arc would have been there yeah it would have been a mini arc because there was since the nautical campaign failed we were potentially going to put in a nautical arc into um Darum to kind of just put a band-aid over the old the failed attempt at a whole nautical campaign 
You'll you'll notice that with a lot of our things, if it didn't work, and what if it didn't work as a whole idea, we'll kind of shrink it down and try to shove it into something else, and and say, well, it works here, right? Good <laughs> bandage over it. We don't act, we don't talk about the original idea. It never happened. <laughs> well, as sad as some of that is. Uh... We have learned a lot of lessons because of all that. And once again, there were other campaigns uh, that other people did bring out during some of this time as well. Uh, our friend Nick ran for, I think, less than 10 sessions. A yeah, game. Uh, he ran a game that was a Gestalt game, regular Gestalt and much more balanced. Uh, that was set in Icewind Dale in the Forgotten Realms. Yeah, and this was still 3-5, although he was also running a 5th edition game with Travis playing in it along with some other friends of uh, his. Yeah, at the time we weren't as interested in 5e and we already had a little bit much on our plate, but... Yeah, 5th edition was still really new and and after playing 3-5 for so long, 5th edition just looked unappealing. It was very... It was very weak. We had some other friends that were playing fifth, and a lot of uh, my friends from Pep Band were playing fifth edition games together at this point, too. And some of them were also in our games, so they were dipping between the two editions as well. But we just couldn't re wrap our heads around wanting to learn another thing. Yep. And as you also mentioned, at the time, we thought of 5th edition as a very nerfed and depowered version of D&D, which compared to what we had been doing, it obviously was. But uh, after a while, we did end up realizing that it was a very fun and valid way to play, and that having less power is not necessarily a bad thing, and it is the edition we primarily focus on now, just yeah. to... Make sure we cover that base. Um, yeah, we, we did realize, you know, we were jerks for crapping on 5th. Granted, I still will openly crap on 4th edition. Well, a lot of us do that. Uh, although, we also, although we did have a player that joined us that had only primarily played 4th edition before playing with us. so. Yep, and that was Nick's girlfriend, Allie. Yeah, but uh, she acclimated very well. Yeah, fourth edition is still its own enigma. Mm -hmm. uh, also, during that time, as Darum had come back, Travis also decided to bring back his Ravenloft campaign, which we did this time manage to finish okay. in the most unconventional way that we possibly could, with actually trying and succeeding at redeeming Strahd von Zerovic. That one, we definitely have to have a episode of because... There were shenanigans and bullshit, and it really shouldn't have worked the way that we did it. It really shouldn't have. But, but we I... succeeded, and it was cool. And I am very and proud no of... I am very proud of what I did in that one. Yeah, well, you're the one who ended up marrying Strahd, so... Exactly! <laughs> but 
but just the whole thing. Yep. Uh, and during that time period, also, Mike uh, ran a couple episodes, or a couple sessions, however you want to call it at that point, of uh, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah, we tried. This was our first time really dipping into something other than D&D. Mike had found Call of Cthulhu, and he wanted to try out DMing, or whichever, so by candlelight in our uh, living room that had a lot of windows, we, the four of us, um, the core four as we always called ourselves. The two of us, Mike and Travis. Yeah, the four of us, we played a few episodes we called the, of that, and I want to... I really want to try that again someday. Yeah, Call of Cthulhu is fun. We we haven't really gotten to play it since, but it was fun and we want to try it again. But another thing that happened during that time, effectively many things happened at once and we're trying to cover them one game at a time. Yeah, there were some weeks between the year 2016 and 2017 when we lived with Mike, um, we were only playing like one game but after we moved out of the house with mike um we moved in with another friend of ours ben yep so while we were living with ben and mike and travis were living together and we started uh darren back up and everything we were playing D two to three times a week Depending upon what I was running, if I was running Dark Tower and Darum, if I was just running one, depending upon if Ravenloft was on, and or Icewind Dale, or what. And then we came up between us, Mike, and Travis with another game. Yeah, so keep this in mind. Andrew was working a full-time job. I had school and pep band which you may as well call a pep uh, part-time job mm -hmm. i was also in a greek organization uh attached to the music program at our school so i was extremely busy due to that and then so if i wasn't at school or anything band related you may you may as well say I was doing D&D. Uh, &D. Granted, the time that we did live um, with Ben, I wasn't in school, but I was still doing pep band. Yep, you um, took a bit of a break. But... but I was still able to do pep band as like a, a community member, kind of. Mm -hmm. But it was still... It, it was still very busy. The final campaign, which was very short, it only lasted maybe about ten sessions-ish. Yeah, about ten. Was what we call the personal campaign. And, it, and... as far as things go, I don't, I, th I think this is probably our biggest train wreck to date. I would say yes. Uh, well, I don't know. Um, the campaign we do not speak of that we spoke of last time. <laughs> Uh, might qualify as bigger, but... Mm. No, this I think does because we fought... We never really fought outside of the table about with that one, really. Fair enough. At least, Well, we did, but not to the degree that we do with... Do slash did with the 
personal game. Indeed. The personal campaign was our attempt at seeing what would happen if we isekai'd ourselves, Sierra, Mike, Travis, and I, if we went to Orith as characters, we had to stat ourselves out. Which, that in itself caused uh, some conflict, because... A little bit here and there. Well, for starters, we took the easy Damas... What D and D? I think it's easy, Adnus. I don't. It's know. hard to tell. We took a D and D quiz to see what our stats were and alignments and things like that. Which this is a test that we had found with other friends years previously, just for fun. We were using it, which we did use this one in uh, Anthony's personal game that he tried to run with a different. It was his game that inspired us. Yep, got one session of that one. But, um, yeah, the, the creating of our stat blocks had already started the conflict. So we should have probably stopped at character building. Effectively, what happened is we, we had this idea. And so we made our personal characters as ourselves, statted out as we are right now. With the idea that we would go to Orith during the time of Darum, and uh, we would be trained by our own characters. Yeah, which at that point Mike and Travis had characters also in this world um, besides their Darum cam- uh, campaign characters. Um, they had briefly, back when we first started Darum, we briefly restarted. Team Chaos for like three sessions and decided it wasn't working out, so we moved on. Yeah, we tried to recapture the the old days a little bit with new people, and it didn't really work out. But it was worth a shot, it and was. we did get some decent stuff out of it. So it was yeah, worth we it. killed uh, we killed Narrow, the yeah. god of death. Yeah, so we furthered the story a little bit more, but you know, but. We each, we took about two in-game years in one night where we described how we were trained, what classes we we gained. We got up to level three because that was how much built-up XP value effectively we had for living as long as we have. And... We were gifted with some pretty decent gear by our characters, many of whom were high level at that point. And the storyline was that we were drawn by the Dark Tower, because of course it was also a tower campaign where we could travel to other worlds on top of Orith in order to be able to take abilities from there and, and this was probably our alchemize s- weapons again and just and, be really cool. And this was a, another big mistake. At least in part. Yeah. But the storyline was that there was a corrupting influence on Orith, and we had been called by the tower so that we could become strong enough to beat it because it would take over our characters and corrupt the whole world and things like that, and we were the only ones who could stop it. And then, because we had created the world, a system I had decided to implement was something that I called Fate Points, which... Effectively, it was a reserve of energy that we all had that, if called upon, would allow us to alter the world 
with DM-like abilities. Yeah, so you could um, change your change your person. Like um, Travis became a Dampier. Yep, you could change your in-game uh, race. Yep. You could give yourself a, a template. Or in my case, I sped up the process of um, our cat Perry having the speed. Eh speaking ability like she was able to speak to us sooner than she would have in game yep learned you, how to. Uh, you did that because she was to become your familiar yep and then you know we also used fate points just to increase our stats you know just there were some big things that we wanted to do with it but that there there were also silly things we did with them Yep. But one thing that I had to decide was how we would restore these fate points. And here's another mistake. Yep. So I came up with the MVP system. At the end of every session, we would vote on who would get a fate point based off of... Accomplishments in the session. Yep, who had a really cool idea for something, who roleplayed really well, or did really well in a combat. It was supposed to be like a thing where, you know, you could nominate someone else, and then we would vote. And we thought, you know, in, in theory, it's a good idea. Well, so the way it also worked was if you had gotten it in... A campaign session you couldn't like we played weekly so if you got one week you you couldn't be voted the next week like you could we could talk about what you did because you know you still deserve the feedback but you couldn't be put up for nomination you would only get the chance to vote but we like to uh raz travis a lot all of us did he was the baby of the core four so you know gotta beat up that little brother you know kind of bully him and and we took it a little too far he was the only one who hadn't gotten a fate point yet up to like the fifth session roughly yeah it was about the fourth or fifth because i had a i had kept track i had a list so that way we could actually keep track of who had gotten one each week so it would be fair and accurate who couldn't and couldn't get one. In that particular session, like, none of us... Like, we'd all had a pretty even thing. Like, a pretty even session as far as who was most impressive and whatever. And none of us were all that high on it to begin with. It was a fairly easy, simple session. But Perry, as a familiar, and as a combatant, and as a character, had actually done something really cool. I think she had solo killed a... Uh, Damn it. Oh, she had solo killed a chupacabra. Yeah. And so, at first, I believe Mike is the one who brought up joking about it, that we could give Perry, give Perry MVP and give her a fate point. Which then... And then we ended up actually doing it because we thought it was funny, but it actually did hurt Travis's feelings. And make him upset because he hadn't gotten one yet, and... And the thing is, though, is um, he did get one the following week. Like, we did say, hey, you do actually deserve one. We do kind of feel like 
jackasses for giving, you know, the cat one before you, so you're, yeah. you're getting one. So, a couple of sessions after Travis had gotten it and everything, um, another situation where Perry had done something really great, I personally thought, you know, she's a familiar, technically familiars are their own entity, you know. I thought, hey, once again, she did really something great, but I'm saying this in a serious tone because... I was planning on making her, uh, like, effectively her own character at this point. Like, she wasn't going to be my familiar anymore, really, in the sense of she was going to be learning how to actually turn into a human in, like, the next two to three sessions, which we never got to that part in the campaign, but... Mike, at that point, decided that... We had probably gone a step too far with it and didn't actually want Perry to continue getting fate points because he thought it was kind of cheating. Uh, Like Sierra could at that point use fate points on herself that Perry had, even though Sierra intended to use Perry's fate points on Perry herself. And it created a huge argument that went on for a while. And also at this point... We are also arguing about what worlds we should be visiting because it had to be worlds that we all recognized. And all of us knew, especially in my case as the DM, because... Andrew had already cheated the mob Berserk because he'd never watched the anime and didn't really fulfill Berserk in Dark Tower the way that... Yeah, we we had gone in Dark Tower to the world of Berserk and... Because I knew nothing about it, I didn't really have the opportunity to study up or anything. And It was lackluster and not what people would have liked, so we didn't want Randall out again. Also, because of the fight we had, we accidentally destroyed the gear that they wanted. Yeah, but that was kind of their fault. Yeah, they but... allowed themselves to get possessed by the armor. So. so, in the personal campaign, we figured, okay, it's only going to be worlds that we wanted... But in that, we also fought about what those worlds were going to be because, um, like, there were, there was the joke of Harry Potter. You open it up and you would get a different version of it every time you open the door. Like, there's, you open it up, you get the original Harry Potter in whatever part of the timeline you happen to open the door at. That's kind of up to your discretion. Close the door. Oh, why am I in Harry Potter Puppet Pals? Nobody wants to be there. This is weird. Shut the door. Open it up. I'm in Team Star Kids version of the Harry Potter musical lineup. And I was very into that musical. And especially high school when I discovered it. And further into college. And I was really into showing this to our friends and everything but once again mike took it as well that's a stupid idea i don't want to go there because when i brought up the fact that i want to go to harry potter he thought i meant a very Potter musical but all when we brought up harry potter um the joke was we open the door it's you know a very Potter musical or harry Potter puppet pal say 
what the hell is this? Shut it, open it back up, and then, oh, this is what we actually want. Thanks, Tower, for getting your act together. And we had, we wanted to do that running gag with some of the other worlds, too, that had, like, parody versions of itself or... Yeah, but he only heard part of the, uh, the conversation and kind of went off on it. And so we kind of stopped playing. Well, there was more to it than that. Well, there was, but that's where the dip in interest started. Yeah, and then afterward it was, we all wanted to come back to our world as these new character versions of ourselves so we could see our families because we hadn't in two years. Yeah. Even uh, though and we, things like that. Even though we kind of, I believe we did like a Narnia situation where our world was paused, right? Our world was paused. Uh, so when we came back, we discovered that no time had been lost. You know, for everyone here, but we still hadn't seen anybody in two years. Unfortunately, some, there was a bit of an incident because... Some inappropriate things happened. We won't go into full discussion just because... And then on top of that, there was also the fact that uh, we had differing opinions upon whether or not it was okay to showcase our brand new powerful magical abilities in what is effectively the real world in D&D, you know? But, um... Some stuff happened. We're not going to go into full detail because some of it is, like, actually personal to... And rather... Distasteful. Yeah. But, but we'll, we'll tell you the fun parts. Um, We we went to... Di- well, we left Travis at home because part vampire at this point. So the three yeah, of he us... Yeah, he had his own plans. Yeah. But um, the three of us that could go out in public, we went to Disney World. We mm-hmm. said, we got some gold. We'll s- we went and sold it at one of those, you know, we buy gold places, I think. Yep. And then we we bought a tank and so we could refurbish it and bring it with us and try to bring it to Orith and see what we could do it with it there and everything. Kind of medievalize it and whatever. Right. Get some magic, whatever. I believe, but, I believe specifically the idea was fight a dragon with a tank. Yeah. So, you know, we bought a tank with the plans to magically refurbish it. And while we were off at Disney, Travis was off doing something else, which kind of upset a lot of us and could have potentially gotten the in-game authorities called on us and get us investigated and... This is where... Didn't want to use magic to have to cover everything up, and it was a shit show. This is where the out-of-game arguments really started, because what happened in-game was so upsetting that it was starting to affect us out-of-game. Yeah, and it's one of those things where you have to think about, okay, so what you're telling me is that if you were given all this power and all these magical abilities and items, that this is what you would do with them? I'm not sure if I like you. Yeah, it was also the fact of we went with the knowledge of, okay, we're going to park you at home for like two, three days max. We're going to go do what we're doing. We trust you to stay home. 
And that basic trust was broken. A lot. And endangering us, everybody, you know, in this fictional, fictionalized world of our own. But it was still... It shed new light on our friend. And it really caused a lot of us, all of us to look at ourselves and say, what would what would I do in this situation or any, like, or even not even in this situation, but how do I, now that he acted like this in game, how do I continue in real life with him? Yep. And also it was better to stop playing before we ended up having the moral choice of whether or not to kill our friend in game for turning rather evil. Because that's what characters in D&D do, right? So we stopped playing at that point because there were too many arguments. There was the arguments of worlds. There was the arguments of morals. There was the arguments of, well, I'm stronger than you. I'm better than you. And it was actually starting to hit personal levels of hurt at that point um, in some cases. Because it was going a little too far. It was starting to actually, like, it wasn't an in-game conversation anymore at that point. And so, um, it was actually, like, right before Mike was moving away because he he was finished with school and he was moving on. Um, we decided, you're, you're leaving soon. We don't really want to leave it quite where it was. Let's just the three of us meet up one last time. Not include Travis because he and Mike were kind of on the outs as roommates falling out. And and none of us were really wanting to involve Travis at the time due to him causing the uh, moral apocalypse. <laughs> basically the a lot of the uh, issues in game and so the three of us one last time not telling Travis until years later that this happened um, we met up and played one more time and 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 threw Travis to the wolves or specifically into Todash space uh, the the space between Dark Tower worlds, actually. <laughs> yeah, um, the the overarching being of the Dark Tower said, "You are no longer serving us any purpose. Uh, you have caused your friends much pr- uh, stress and and everything." And said, "You're out of here, buddy," and tossed him out. Which effectively just served as the metaphor for me as the DM and with their support, basically picking him up and saying, yeet! Yep, so in that timeline of this and of that world, he no longer existed. Which we realized was really messed up for a D&D campaign to be going to this level when it's supposed to be fun. But... It was very cathartic at the same time. (laughs) 
Yeah, the personal campaign ended up coming off as a very bad idea, despite the the incredible immersion and the power fantasy, you know, yeah. for a lot of us that could come from that. It's just, it just yeah. turned out conflicting personalities left it at a point where it was kind of impossible to do. It was a great game, but not played at the right time. And unfortunately, in, in that type of game it has to be right people right time and you just have there's so many pieces to the puzzle that it just it it's never gonna really work out unless everybody's on the same page and obviously it's very hard to do that because everybody thinks and has you know thinks differently and has different ideas and ideals and everything like that so unless everybody's got the same mindset all at the same time somehow it's hard but that game's definitely best left in the past very much so and that one we try not to talk about too much just because it, it was a difficult time for for us as a as a friend group because it was just the core four of us playing this and you know when we would play this one day and then like the next day go into a main campaign day uh, another campaign we would have to act like oh you know we didn't just yell and scream at each other for three hours straight last night um we're all happy here it's okay yeah it was very it was very difficult to put it together. It was very dramatic. But uh, as this part of the story comes to a close, we we left out on the personal campaign. Darum had uh, ended a little ways prior to that. Yeah. Uh, and Dark Tower was basically at the end of it as well. Yeah. So all of our main games ended within a few months of each other. Yep, that was summer of 2018 that Darum had wrapped. Mm-hmm. And we effectively did not really play any D&D for a few months until I believe it would have been October. Yep, October, november is when we started again of that year. Yep. So from 2015, roughly, until 2018 is the timeline we just covered. Yep. And next time, we'll be getting into one of our our best campaigns and one of our most successful campaigns that we've run yep. as well. And... Uh, the campaign of Ravandor, which began in October-November-ish of 2018. And we'll be talking about that one a bit all the way up and games past that or uh yeah coming off of that one and we'll be covering from then until now now yep which once again is gonna be like this one there's gonna be a lot because not only was there a vandor but there were a lot of side games and a lot of new dms again coming and up the ranks. still a lot of drama <laughs> 
Yeah. Which, you know, when the one of the episodes following this in the future is going to be, you know, how does D&D influence real life and how does real life influence D&D, you know? How does, how does the metagaming drama or whatever kind of affect the game? And how do personalities clashing at the table affect the game as well? Yeah, so catch that in a future episode. Yes, indeed. Uh, this has been... A heck of a recap of our lives for a good few years there. A lot yeah. of good moments. A lot of not as good moments, but still you, you gotta be quite a bit of experience. Definitely got to be proud of the growth, though, during those years. Oh, yeah. Not only as, like, players, but as people, because, like, you know, we obviously talk, like, there were some really low moments in those. Not only just, you know, D&D, but, like, there were some low moments with school and stuff that, you know, happened. Yeah, life has a way of catching you off guard, and that definitely happens, but we have D&D. And we got each other, because, you know, even if D&D is not played, you and I are still hanging Talking out. Talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. We're still hanging out. That's pretty much three, ra- three years wrapped up into an hour, um, like we discussed all the campaigns that we can and that we've discussed here, at least the more in depth, um, you know, like Darum and everything like that, and we'll discuss Travis's Ravenloft uh, stuff. Those we'll discuss in their own episodes, just because they they deserve the time. Darum especially, there's a lot that went into that, and also it's just a good thing to talk about when it comes to like developing your own towns and campaign worlds yeah but stay tuned for future episodes yep up next part three will be the last part of our history of D&D episodes yep our introductory series is almost to an end here folks with that it's been a pleasure relating these experiences with everyone Yeah, it's been a lot of fun so far talking about all this stuff. We hope you all enjoyed. Please remember to like, comment, subscribe to our channel for more episodes in the future. Yep, and when you're done listening to this, if you can, go play some D&D. Definitely. Always play D&D. Or, at the very least, even if you don't need them, buy more dice. Just because... You always need more. Yes, everyone must be Dice Goblin. But with that, catch us on the next episode of Tavern for Two.